it's great to have so many people here today. I think we've sold out on Eventbrite and we've essentially hit a capacity for what we can do in the sanctuary right now. And it's so good to be gathered with you here in person and to know that many more are continuing to join us online on the live stream. Peter has just called over the last couple of weeks Christians of every social status and stripe, and he's told them to behave in such a way that the Roman Empire would see them to be good citizens, but that they have to remain of the mindset that they are exiles and foreigners and to work towards God's coming kingdom, even against the machinations of Rome as need be. So Peter now exhorts the whole church All of you, he writes, all of us here gathered and online, all of us have unity of spirit, have sympathy, have love for one another, have a tender heart and a humble spirit. Now, I know this just seems like a list of things that Christians ought to embody all the time. These sound like very churchy words. But this is not just a list of things for Christians to embody. This is actually meant to be a sort of call to arms. Greek orators would frequently call their audiences to harmony. And this harmony always had a purpose, that they might be united against a common foe. This is no mistake. There can be no divisions in the church between male or female, free or slave, Jew or Greek, because all are one in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, we together suffer as Christ suffered. And in Christ Jesus, we together will rise even as he rose. The church, Peter is saying, will suffer through Roman persecution together, or together they will find a way through it. But there wasn't going to be another way. There wasn't going to be some way to save yourself at the expense of the church. You were in it together for good or for ill. So they had to be of one heart. They had to have great sympathy for what each other were going through. They had to be tender-hearted and to show great love. They even had to continue to choose to suffer alongside of one another. From my vantage point, there seems to be very little unity of the Spirit among the church today. We love our divisions. Liberal Christians are often more united with liberal atheists than with their conservative brothers and sisters. And of course, the same is true the other way around. Presbyterians are keen to get along with other reformed types, and far less so our Catholic siblings. Married Christians seem to have little time to enfold and to love well the single, fo- the single folk in the church, and those who are single perhaps neglect the ways that they have gifts to offer to families and to couples in our community. The list of divisions is, it seems, never-ending. But we found the time for them because we stopped being exiles a long, long time ago. We found home in the world, and we took up the divisions which the world offered to us. We even offered a couple of our own to throw into the mix. And we became quite comfortable 
with the assumption that now no enemy could assail us, no suffering could truly befall us. And so now instead of suffering alongside each other, instead of doing that hard work, now we could become the cause of each other's suffering. As I sat with this text this week, over and over again, the stories of churches across Canada being vandalized and even being burnt to the ground came to mind. Since June 21st, 10 churches have been destroyed or seriously damaged by fire in Canada. And in so many ways, First Peter speaks to these very instances and challenges us both in how we understand them and how we respond to them. These fires, first and foremost to me, present evidence for why it is still so important for Christians to seek that unity of the Spirit with one another. Because the divisions that we believe are so plain, they're just so obvious to us who have been in the church for a long time, they're not so plain to others. And they will not protect us from the suffering which is brought to all Christians. The people who set these fires over the last few weeks did not think of the residential school survivors that worshipped in some of these buildings. They could not tell that this Alliance Church had no part in residential schools and in fact served Vietnamese and Filipino parishioners. They could not tell that this African evangelical church was formed by recent immigrants and served many refugees. They did not note that this church was built by Polish migrants who knew religious persecution back home and came to Canada looking for safety in their faith. I think from these last few weeks, it's clear that those differences which we hold so dear, the distinctions with which we identify ourselves and bar any true unity from being known, are not enough to protect us from suffering with one another. We bear the name of Christ together, and Peter knew that that was enough, that any sin committed by any Christian would be an excuse to persecute the whole church. There would be no safety in identity, in political persuasion, in status. Christians would suffer alongside one another, one way or the other. Now, let's not be mistaken. These recent Van, acts of vandalism and destruction against churches at least has the appearance of suffering for having done evil as the church. People used God's name in vain and in evil work which deprived children of their homes, stripped them of their culture, neglected their basic needs, and saw many of them at their end in unmarked graves without the last dignity of being returned to their families and their peoples. As Peter wrote in the previous chapter, if you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? And as we heard at the end of today's reading, it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will 
than to suffer for doing evil. Christians of indigenous, Vietnamese, African, and many other churches are enduring suffering for the evil done by others who are also of Christ. There is little distinction in the world's eyes. And so the evil done by others is repaid as evil done to them. This is why we must have unity of the Spirit, because we will still find ourselves suffering together, no matter what walls we may think that we've built for ourselves. Evil will continue to be repaid to us all. This is why it took a week for the prime minister to denounce the burning of churches, because this evil for evil is the way the world has always worked. It took a week for the prime minister to denounce the burning of churches. And if a mosque was burned after an extremist terror attack, I imagine that it would have been a swifter response. Perhaps we are becoming again more exiles than citizens here, and that is very good news for the church. This is also why the former principal secretary to the prime minister tweeted about these church burnings that, quote, they may be understandable. It may be understandable because repaying evil for evil, abuse for abuse, is familiar, and it seems to be fair. It seems to be fair that the scales would now be leveled again. The trouble is, as Peter well knows, that we are incapable of balancing those scales. As he previously reminded us, even Jesus did not return abuse because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I hope you know this, but we are not the ones who judge justly. We judge quite unjustly, and the innocent are harmed by our judgments. We judge to favor ourselves at all times, even when we are in the wrong. And we judge at times to the point of cruelty because it is actually vengeance which we seek far more than justice. These are the judgments of our world, and that they require that those who exercise them commit evil themselves. So rather than getting caught in this spiral, this spiral of repaying evil for evil and then receiving payment of evil for the evil which we have wrought and on and on throughout generations and for all eternity. Peter calls us to be the ones who break this cycle. Do not repay evil for evil. Repay with a blessing. Repay with a blessing. Receiving evil and giving goodness. Be Christ in your lives, for in the same way Christ received all sorts of evil and in return prayed for those who scorned him and blessed the very ones who led him to the cross. How might those whose parishes have been destroyed in a fit of vengeful anger, a cruel and crude action seeking justice, repay this evil instead with a blessing. What, I wonder, would we do if it was our homes or indeed our church? It is a hard truth that no amount of destroyed churches can balance the scales of the harms done to indigenous communities 
by residential schools. And while some, some leaders in our country have cried, burn it all down, others, including many indigenous leaders, have named that this evil is not done in solidarity with them. Because there is no correcting the harm of residential schools, there will be no balancing of the scales until all things are reconciled, when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. So Peter quotes Psalm 34, which reminds us that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but his face is against those who do evil, a consolation for the righteous and a warning for those who are unjust, that God does not allow evil to go unnoticed and that one day he will finally judge. Somebody asked me about these recent events, the ongoing numbering of unmarked graves of the great many children lost in residential schools, and this newfound propensity toward burning churches. And they wondered, how might we make it clear that we join in the mourning of indigenous communities? How might we perhaps even spare our church from being one of the targets in these days? My answer is simply Peter's answer. We will keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. We will turn away from evil and do good. We will seek peace and pursue it. Now who will harm us if we are eager to do what is good? But even if we do suffer from doing what is right, we are blessed. We need not have fear. We are blessed when we suffer unjustly, blessed when we suffered for doing what is right. Because in these things, we find that we are closer to Jesus and all the people of God than we have ever been before. It is surely a strange thing to call such suffering blessing. Strange that the very ones who had no part in the evil of residential schools and have lost houses of worship and the legacy of their ancestors should now be called blessed. And yet it is that they are blessed because of the hope that is within them, a hope which calls them to return blessing for this evil which they have endured, and a hope which calls us all to return blessing for every evil which we endure. We need not be distraught if we lose a building for the evil which is now repaid for that evil which was once done. Nor need we be dismayed if we suffer in spite of our ongoing repentance, our genuine pursuit of righteousness, because our hope is not in buildings made of many stones. Our hope is not in a beautiful sanctuary or in lovely stained glass windows. Our hope is in Jesus Christ as Lord. And if it is God's will that we should suffer, let us suffer for doing good. If then we suffer for doing good, if we are able to persist in long-suffering in the pursuit of our living hope, which is Christ, then Peter says we ought to be prepared to give a reason for that hope. Notice the order of events here. We suffer, and we suffer even for doing good. 
Our hope is in God's coming kingdom, and it buoys us through these dangers. And perhaps, after all of that, perhaps then people ask us, what keeps us going? And then we share our hope with them, gently and respectfully. It is when our hope means enough that it allows us to endure, and to endure with a blessing for those around us, that our hope becomes meaningful enough, important enough for us to share with others. Our work of sharing the gospel first follows our work of embodying the gospel, of participating in Christ's work, of dying and rising, of receiving suffering and giving blessings and life. Suffering, it seems, is unavoidable. And if it cannot be avoided in this world, if even youth faint and are weary, even the young fall exhausted, if even the good suffer ill and even the righteous perish, then let us weary ourselves in the cause of justice. Let us fall exhausted in works of mercy. Let us suffer ill for doing good and let us perish as beloved children of God. If we must endure all these things, let us do so working blessing into this world, trusting that we will be raised to blessing in Christ and find that God has set all things right in a kingdom which we will at last call home. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, you who judges justly, we confess that uh, we don't really have the patience to see that day of justice, that we sympathize with those who lash out seeking justice for themselves and for their neighbors, but in so doing, bring evil on many innocent people. We confess that we long to behave in such ways at times, and that even when we restrain ourselves, we like to see straight lines between wrong done and punishment received, straight lines between good done and reward received. And this is not your way. And so the suffering of our lives and the suffering of our world continues to perplex us and cause us much confusion and consternation. And so we pray, God, that you would give us patience, help us to hold on to that living hope, which is Jesus Christ. Help us to repay all kinds of evil with blessing and to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us. We pray all this in your name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. We want to give you a couple of minutes to reflect what the Spirit might be saying through this scripture, through these words. And so a couple of questions for you to consider. The first is what situations or situation have you been repaying evil for evil in? And how might you begin to repay with a blessing? And the second is simply, are you prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you? And maybe you're not, so 
this might be a good time to practice, to think about it a little bit, to articulate why you hold on to hope in difficult seasons. We'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect and pray on these things.